Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 151, Rendezvous with Mars. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We're continuing our Mars monthly series with Patrick Chai, PhD, who humbly requested to be referred to as an aerospace engineer at Langley Research Center in Virginia, but most would call him a rocket scientist. Patrick hones in on the challenges and needs for getting to Mars. The journey from Earth to Mars will be long, somewhere on the order of nine months. And with that comes a series of challenges, some complicated orbital mechanics, and a whole range of options that consider things like propulsion, duration, timing, staging, and more. Yes, thanks to probes and rovers of the past, we've landed on Mars, but a human landing will be like nothing else before. The transport will have to be much larger, and with humans on board, you're limited on the kinds of routes you can take to get to Mars. Sounds like a simple consideration. Yes, of course there will be humans, but it makes things a lot harder. Buckle up, everybody, and all aboard to the Red Planet. Here we go. The challenges and range of options on how to rendezvous with Mars with Patrick Chai. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is a really interesting and intricate discussion we're going to have about what it takes to actually get to Mars. So I might go a little bit off track, but you're going to have to steer me <laughs> to Mars in the right way. Tell me about your background and, and what got you to the path where you're thinking about Mars Rendezvous. Well, I uh, haven't been at NASA very long. I've, I started in uh, the fall of 2014. I was a graduate student uh, uh, at Langley as well, um, uh, doing some um, system analysis for uh, different uh, refueling options. So I was, a, I was a grad student. I got my PhD from Georgia Tech. And the, Georgia Tech has a program at Langley uh, associated with the National Institute of Aerospace uh, where grad students can you know, be on site there at Langley doing research with folks. Um, and so it kind of gravitated me toward doing system analysis. So that's how I ended up uh, uh, you know, applying for a job at the branch I am in, which is the Space Mission Analysis Branch. Hmm. And once I started there, uh, that's back when uh, uh, there was a big effort to, uh, defining what, we, what then was called the Evolvable Mars Campaign uh, as part of President Obama's um, a flexible path definition, you know, going to the asteroids and then, you know, having multiple paths, getting, getting, getting human to Mars. So, uh, I started doing a lot of the trajectory work, uh, for, um, for that evolvable Mars campaign, um, and doing the definitions of how to, you know, all the different mission opportunities and how much propellant it would take if we have, uh, you know, different payloads and things like that. So, mm. um, that kind of evolved into me kind of being the lead of the uh, trajectory analysis team there for uh, for all the Mars stuff, and and now I'm leading the uh, Mars Integration Group here at at, uh, at NASA Langley. But I still want to do trajectory work because that's the most important. That's that's the <laughs> that's the exciting things that I, I, I like to do. Uh, uh, leading team is is great, but uh, it's like one of those curse. You know, you, you move up and you become management, and they don't get. They don't, they don't let you do exciting work anymore. <laughs> you have to delegate. Delegate. Yeah, all the exactly. Work. It's hard, man. Yeah. Learning how to delegate is a hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when you want to do. Exactly. You get your hands yeah. Dirty. 
So, so, so you, you mentioned, you alluded to a few different things mm-hmm. in your description of what you're thinking about. You're thinking about systems. You're thinking about trajectories. Mm-hmm. What, what are these different elements that you're considering when you're thinking, how do we get to Mars? So, uh, you know, for, for, for what were you thinking about here, it's always, you know, sending crew to Mars, right? So we have, we have a, 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 a propulsion element uh, that, you know, you need some sort of propulsion element to get, you know, your crew uh, to and from Mars, right? Mm-hmm. And the payload that you need to deliver. So typically you have, a, you know, very traditionally, uh, you have a chemical stage. And so you have, you know, kind of like a, like a regular rocket. Um, you have, you know, fuel and oxidizer and you, you know, you, you they, they come into a combustion chamber and they, you know, they combust and then you exhaust that out of the nozzle and that's how you push things, mm-hmm. right? And and for, for Mars, you either, you're either pushing uh, the deep space habitat where the crew lives in, or a, a payload, which is uh, what we call cargo, which is the lander that you need to land things on, on, on Mars surface. Hmm. Okay, and so, so, so the, you're, you're thinking about the energy, the type of energy it takes to actually get to Mars, yeah, and you're thinking and so, about what you're going to attach to that energy. Yeah, and so, you know, if for an integrated stack, you have your propulsion elements and you have a payload, and you have to get, be able to get that all those things put, put together in orbit, and then you send that to Mars, and, you, and not only do you have to send it to Mars, it has to have enough energy for you to come back, too. So if you mm. think about a big rocket, uh, you know, as a reference, like a you know, big rocket you're launching from, from Cape Canaveral, you know, that is a very short distance that, that they, it has to do comparatively to where, where, we, where we're needing to go to, to Mars. So you, you can imagine the energy that it would need to, 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 to go all the way to Mars. It's pretty significant. Yeah. So what's the difference when you're thinking, we're, we're, we're talking at the system level now, we're talking mm-hmm. about what you need to actually build to get to Mars. What differs when you add the human element? Um, so th- when you had the human element, it, it's kind of different. Right? Yeah. So if, if you think about, you know, the things we've sent to Mars, all the rovers and things like that, um, you know, those systems have a lifetime, right? But, you know, it's, it's electronics. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's powered by battery or solar arrays or whatnot. Uh, they can take a much slower route to Mars, which much more energy efficient, right? When you have a crew on board, you have other consideration because, you know, if you have a longer duration in space, that means you have to bring more food. That means you have to bring, you have to have bigger space for the crew. You have to have exercise equipment for the crew. So uh, what what that actually translates to is you have more payload, you have more mass, you have to push, you're pushing more things. And mm. that, we call it the, the tyranny of the rocket equation. Um, <laughs> it's an exponential uh, um, uh, relationship. So you add one kilo, well, you know, you have one kilogram or one pound of, of, of payload. It's not equivalent to one pound of, of, of propellant. It's, you know, a, a much, much bigger amount. So you can add up really quick. So for a human uh, mission and you know, a little bit for the, for the, for the robotic too, you know, it's all about minimizing that payload mass as much as possible hmm. um, and these rovers that you know that JPL and are sending to Mars I mean they are very slimmed down even though they're very beefy and they're very reliable but they all are always looking for different ways to do you know f- f- manufacturing and, and, and fabrications of these components to minimize the weight because weight is everything in space yeah um, yeah so I guess does maybe this might be a ridiculous question but does thinking about having larger systems to get to Mars mm-hmm. change your trajectory or, or the your possibilities of how to get there? Um, it, it doesn't really change the trajectory, uh, okay. maybe a little bit, but it changes the way you think about how to get to those tra- trajectory. Um, so 
everything we've sent to Mars so far, you're thinking about these, you know, basically your traditional rocket, you know, and these are, you know, we're getting much, much more efficient with them, but they're very, um, I won't say rudimentary, but these are, you know, systems that we've we've we've, we've been using for for decades, right? And mm -hmm. um, they have their limits in terms of how energy efficient, how much, you know, um, what we call specific impulse uh, impulse that it can deliver, uh, and specifically what measures kind of the the how much um, uh, how much energy you can get out of the same amount of propellant. So the higher oh. you, higher that specific impulse is, the better you, your system at, at being efficient. Um, so your traditional rocket, you're looking at maybe, you know, 300 to three, 400 seconds worth of specific impulse. And, and there's a whole, you know, der derivation of equation. I don't, I don't exactly know why they, they use seconds as the, uh, as, as the unit, but it falls out of the equation. Um, but for a traditional chemical, you're looking at three to 400 seconds of, of specific impulse. And, uh, you know, with starting to think about some of these other, you know, kind of lower thrust uh, uh, and higher energy um, uh, propulsion systems, uh, like the solar electric propulsion or a nuclear electric propulsion uh, mm. systems, that can get you up to you know um, three to four thousand seconds worth of specific impulse, so uh, an increase of tenfold. Uh, the drawback of that is is you ended up having to uh, stretch your in space duration longer because it you know it, it it naturally is a lower thrust. Um, uh, propulsion system. So mm -hmm. that's always the battle. You have a you have a low thrust and a high thrust system. A high thrust system kind of you know is a really big kick to get you out, and you can do a little another kick to kind of slow you down at Mars, and that's relatively fast. Uh, low thrust, you you, you kind of just like putzing along, you know, for a much longer duration, but ultimately it saves you a lot of propellant, and it, you're, it's much more robust to if you increase your your pay payload mass by a significant amount. It's it's much more robust to, to be able to absorb some of that uh, that growth. So. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of different factors you're considering. Yeah, and 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 what actually we have been uh, working uh, in the last uh, three or four years is actually kind of marrying the two. Um, and we've been working on what we call a hybrid propulsion system. And it's kind of, it has both components. It has a, a high thrust and a low thrust system. So you use uh, the, the high thrust when you're near, near planets where they are actually most effective. And you, you, you know, cause you're, you have to, you know, no matter what, you, you have a long duration transit out to Mars and back anyway. Mm -hmm. So you might as well use some of that uh, time to do some thrusting and do some maneuvering. Um, and we've, we found that uh, the system that we've, we kind of, you know, been, um, analyzing has some advantages and some disadvantages, but that's how uh, all this and and that's important, I think, from from a you know what we what we always harp on from our from our branch, the system analysis analysis perspective. We have to be able to understand the behavior of the system, uh, uh, especially under uncertainty and under changing requirements, and that to understand what what you're actually selecting. You can't just say. Oh, because we have this very, very tiny optimized point design, we're going to select this uh, this propulsion option. Well, what what if your design changes a little bit? You know how sensitive you are your your system is to that to that change, and and we need to have a better understanding of all that uh, before we make before we're able to make really informed decisions. Hmm. So. so, I mean, the hybrid approach sounds very reasonable because you're considering the the flexibility. Naturally, when it comes to spaceflight, with flexibility comes mass. Now you're talking mm -hmm. about two different propulsion systems. Yeah, actually, it's it's kind of um, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's actually less in terms of mass. It's more on the complexity side. Interesting. Um, 
in terms of mass, like, you know, given the same payload and the propulsion system, um, it depends on the trajectory you fly, the chemical is going to be the heaviest, and then the hmm. full EP is going to be the, the, the lightest. Um, but, you know, you trade time with that too, right? You know, the, the, the big rocket will, will, will get there, get you there the fastest, but the, but the slow boat uh, uh, electric propulsion will get there, you know, much slower. Um, so we're trying to, you know, so like, for instance, uh, we have some planetary probes that are flying out there that uses electric propulsion, and, and they've been very successful in doing that. But, you know, these things take years and years to get to wherever they're going. And so it's great for the for the planetary probe, you know, because they don't really care about, you know, how long it takes to get there as long as they get there and yeah. do the science they need to do. But when you have crew on board, you can't really use that as a consideration, right? Because you, have to, you can't just say, oh, we're going to have... You know, we're going to take three years just to get to Mars you know, <laughs> one way, right? It's, you know, it's a non-starter because all the food and, and everything you have to, um, to have to bring, unless we can figure out how to cry or freeze people, I guess. <laughs> um, that would be a different ball game. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, this is, I, that that's one of the key elements here. We're talking about sending humans to Mars. And that with that, you is one of the requirements is, is speed yeah you need to get there yeah faster. you need to get there uh, you know in a reasonable amount of time before all your consumables uh, and things like that uh, um, run out right or you yeah. have to bring in so much that you never ever even get started right yeah and so that's always the challenge right because you you know with with exploring uh, I always used kind of the analogy of, of Chris Christopher Columbus uh, sailing across the uh, the Atlantic Ocean right when they leave they had there was there was no expectation that they have any sort of you know, stoppage and things like that on, you know, doing the voyage, right? And, yeah. and so they're hoping that, you know, fingers crossed that they can get all the way to, to wherever they're going and, and be resupplied. So they are planning, however, however long they, they, uh, they were planning to, to sail. Um, and, you know, at, at least the good news for us is that at least we know where we're, where our destination instead of right. sailing into the unknown. But to kind of, you know, to give you some context, I mean, uh, Columbus sailed uh, in you know, the late 1400s, and they, they got to the, I think, the first trip. They, they left the Spanish coast and got to, I think, the Bahamas. That, you know, was like 6,500 kilometers worth of distance they, they, they traveled, you know, across the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean in like 30-something days. If, if you use that same distance they travel as, you know, if you, if you say, okay, that's the same distance that, you know, from Earth to Mars— the moon, which is the furthest humans has ever been, is only two and a half miles off the coast. Oh. So, give you some scale. <laughs> so, on all the human existence, we've only gone two and a half miles off of the Spanish coast. Wow. And we're trying to get across the Atlantic Ocean to the New World. Yeah. And trying to plan for that. And, and so, that that's kind of gives you that, that scale and... and, and I think people, you know, think, oh yeah, we, you know, we because we send probes, you know, and, and things like that. It should be easy, but it's it's not at all because it's it's one of the most, I think, fundamentally the most challenging thing. That's why we've been looking at it for since the since the Apollo time, time right? Because yeah. it's it is that challenging. Well, t tell me a little bit more about what what is so challenging about it when it comes to. Um, the orbital mechanics of it all, the, the, how, how you're limited with your opportunities, how, you know, you, you can't really turn around. 
Yeah, so we, we are, you know, very much governed by what, you know, the orbital mechanics and the gravity. And and, and, yeah. and, and, and I I struggle a lot, you know, talking to just, you know, people, you know, like my family and things like that, like what I do. Like it's, <laughs> it's not easy to, 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 like, have them understand that. So I like to use the, the, the train analogy. And, you know, imagine, like, uh, you have, you have uh, you know, miniature train sets or big train sets. I don't know what, what you want to play with. But, you know, Earth and Mars are moving around uh, uh, the sun like, like they are on train tracks, you know, circular or ellipsoid train tracks, right? So it's spinning around, but they're moving at different speed, right? So your goal of getting from one to the other is you're, you're standing on one of the train track, you know, on one of the trains, you know, moving with the train, mm-hmm. and you're trying to throw an egg across to and have it land on the other train without it breaking right and so so it's it's all it's not only do you have to like have enough energy to throw it you also have to have enough energy to slow it down so that when it when it when it when it gets to the train it 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 doesn't you know just splatter right Mm -hmm. um that's kind of like a basic analogy of how you you know what it would take so you can think you can think about you know imagine like um, if the trains are on, you know, opposite ends of the, the circle, right, you know, they're not in sync, yeah. right, you're not going to be able to, you know, y- you could, you would just take a lot more energy to throw and to, and it were, you, you know, and to slow down, mm-hmm. right. And so you, you're basically what we're doing with Mars in terms of mission opportunities is that we're waiting for the train to kind of align itself um, to the prop, you know, r- proper orientations for us to kind of n- maximize the use of the velocity, the, the speed of our train, mm-hmm. and maximize the speed, you know, on, on arrival of, of you know the the Mars train, kind of. Uh, yeah, what in, you're in trying to do is you're trying to limit how thro- how hard you have to throw. This right, you have the how hard you throw there, and you have to limit how far hard you have to push back when when you get to Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing. Uh, Oh, it was a great video that uh, Myth- MythBusters did, um, where they uh, they had a cannon strapped to the back of a truck, and they 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 drove it at 50 miles an hour, and they shot the cannon out the back, and it kind of just fell I to saw the ground. That one. Yeah, you're basically doing that at Mars, right? And oh. and because you want to kind of just like be the same relative velocity, because you're moving fast compared to Mars, right? And you have to fire your engines, you know, fire your rocket mm-hmm. and your cannon the other way to kind of slow down and drop in Mars. So you want to minimize that as well, because that's all, you know, we, we call it Delta V, the change in velocity. Mm. Uh, and that drives how much propellant you need. That drives how much your, your propulsion system has to be in terms of, you know, thrust and size and all that. And it kind of snowballs into this giant vehicle that you have to take to Mars. So the, you know, minimizing that is, is, is the goal, right? And that's why we have very, these, these very, what we call conjunction style um, trajectory that kind of minimizes that uh, energy. Okay. So. so how often do those opportunities come up? Uh, typically, the Earth to Mars uh, Sonata cycle is about 26 months. So every 26-ish month, uh, you get one of those uh, opportunities. That's why, you know, for JPL, their rovers, they, they launch every two-ish years or so. So mm-hmm. this one, we have Mars 2020 now coming up this year. The last one was launched in 2018. So that's kind of the, 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 the cycle that we, we have. Uh, every 26 months or so, we have these kind of conjunction opportunities. Now, is there a factor you have to add into this whenever you're looking at these opportunities for the fact that humans are going to be on this vehicle mm-hmm. and that you're going to have to return at some point? Well, yeah, that's, that's, always, that's always the, 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 the trick, right? People always think, you know, oh, one way, right? No, we have to 
you know, it's it's a round trip. So back to the train analogy, you know, once you get to Mars, you, you know, in order to minimize the energy coming home, you have to kind of, again, wait for the train to kind of get back into the proper alignment mm. for you to come home. So typically a conjunction style um, uh, uh, full round trip mission you are you're on average about uh, 180 to 260 days, uh, maybe up to 300 days, you, you know, out to, to Mars tra- transit time, and you stay on the surface or stay at Mars for three to 500 days, waiting wow. for the planet to realign, and then you come home on the same low minimum energy uh, um, uh, trajectory. So, yeah. yeah, so you have a whole round trip about three years is is typical, very very typical. Um, now, with different technology, uh, high and low thrust, uh, those durations do fluctuate here and there a little bit. Um, but typically, you're looking at 900 to, you know, 1,100 days of total uh, what we call time away from Earth. Because that's, you know, the, the days start counting when you push the button to leave Earth. Yeah. Right? There might be more time the crew has to spend near Earth to, you know, they have to launch, they have to get into the spacecraft and get everything checked out before they can even do that. So you have to kind of back that out even further, um, to, you know, to, to get all you know, the total crew time in space, which may be a little, little more, maybe 100 days more than, than when the, the total Mars mission. Um, some opportunities, uh, mission opportunities are, are a little shorter, some are longer because the Earth and Mars uh, orbit are not perfectly circular around the sun. So they do have variations in, in the... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in the distance, so some take a little longer, some's a little faster, some's a little faster. So, yeah, a lot of lot to kind of it, there's just you know, a lot of variability, and um, and we have to do we do have to take that into consideration um, because we've we've had we've gone into some you know bad rabbit holes and and oh you know this mission opportunity is really really easy let's design to that. Ah. Well, if you do that, then if you miss it, you can't go ever again or you can't uh, go for f- 20 years you have that, to have some flexibility right in the design exactly of your systems and, and, to and meet these different you, yeah and, and there's one of the things that we harp is is we need to be robust with with our design because we mm-hmm. understand that uh whatever we plan um there's always risk of of, of slippage like schedule slippage yeah and and we need to be robust to that and and that's a, a challenge right because you're already design de- designing a system that is you know at the hairy edge of the performance and um, you're trying to get everything out of the system you you already can and if you try to build in robustness to that you know it's 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 a challenge because it, it ends up being really big and bigger than it needs to be for um you know it's always the you know and in every system analysis and, and even aerospace uh, all aerospace you know actually not just aerospace but engineering in general there's this uh, debate of robustness versus op- optimization right hmm. you know optimizing you know onto a very very you know you know, uh, being able to optimize to something um, versus being robust to changes, and then that 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 battle has always been in, in ongoing. So, yeah, because optimization is equal to efficiency, but robustness is equal to reliability. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so you know, and and there's a balance to that. You can't you know go full bore one or the other, right? And mm. so yeah, you you know you could theoretically design a vehicle to fly every single mission opportunity. But that's not realistic, right? Because you would end up, you will be so unoptimized for every single opportunity that, yeah, that that it, it you end up with a system that doesn't 
necessarily closes from a other programmatic perspective, right? What so, a challenge, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, what about launch opportunities? You know, we, uh, launch slips happen mm -hmm. all the time. Right. It's just a regular part of space yeah. flight. And so. so, so that that is the other challenge. And that we, we talked, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the additional time that you need to uh, account for, right? So, yeah. you know, so if you know your your launch your Earth departure date, right, is certain, you know, to maximize your mission opportunity. You got to plan for the, the launch slippage, right? So mm -hmm. instead of saying, okay, the crew is launching three days before that Earth departure date, you're gonna have to launch. You're gonna have to plan to launch your crew a month, two months before that. That huh. way, if it slips, you can have that. Uh, and and we have a we have some folks in the agency who's who's done some fantastic work uh, on launch reliability, launch reliability, and they've done you know some great analysis to show. Um, you know, in order to get to a, you know, 99% probability of, of actually getting you to this particular date, you know, you have to backtrack and figure out how much, how many days you need to plan to, to, um, uh, to launch, you know, the launch window, basically. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a little different than like saying going to the ISS or, or, or even back then the, 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 the Apollo program where, you, you know, a little slippage, you, you end up, you know, you can... You know the lunar cycle is only 28 days, right? And so, mm. if you miss that magical opportunity, it's you, know, you may you wait a month and then you, you wait go. A month. Uh, it's it's not you wait 28 months uh, yeah. or, or 26 months, right? And so it's yeah, you have to be robust in that. But there's a limit to that, right? And and because you don't want to say okay, we're launching our crew, you know, six months in advance, and they sit around <laughs> in orbit waiting for their opportunity to go, right? Right? And that's that's unrealistic. So it's it's again back to optimized versus robust this is the the risk versus you know uh, how risky you want you want to want to be right is your is a 99th percentile probability good enough is 90th is 70th i don't know right that's something mm -hmm. that you know uh, it's it's a it's a challenge for for uh both engineers and and the program managers to to understand the risk and understand you know where we can uh absorb the risk and where we can't yeah. So what you're doing is you're you're thinking about this this wide spectrum of possibilities. You're thinking about, you know, how early do we have to launch, mm -hmm. and how how long is it reasonable for the crew to hang out in low Earth orbit uh, until they take that Mars mm -hmm. injection burn and go right. to Mars? What's reasonable there? What are the propulsion um, technologies that we can consider, yeah. and what factors? Um, you know, into that kind of design. You're just thinking about this whole yeah, right and, and it's a it's it's an integrated system uh, and, and and campaign look, right? And and mm. that's that's more so than just doing like the individual design for for systems. And the other, you know, throw you and throw you another wrench. Is that, <laughs> you know, the longer you wait in orbit, the more your systems degrade. Uh, you you ha you might have propellant who are which are cryogenically, you know, where cryogenic temperatures, so they might be boiling off. Um, so you have to top it off, and there's a whole host of, uh, of of discussions and on that, and that's why there's, you know, um, there's some discussion about you know different orbits where you do your do your aggregation, um, different orbits where you do your rendezvous and things like that, so that it's it's not Leo the lower Leo lower Earth orbit is is great because it you can throw a lot of stuff into it uh, from a launch vehicle pers perspective. I think it's lower, but it's a terrible uh, environment for a spacecraft to hang out long term, especially big spacecraft. Uh, the thermal environment is, is is pretty harsh from all of the 
um, the radiation from you know coming actually reflecting off the earth hmm. um, from a thermal perspective is, is not not great but it's also a, a lot of orbital debris uh, because you know all the stuff that's up there so there's a higher chance of that um, the benefit is that you're still in the you know radiation van Allen radiation belt so you, you're shielded from that so there's there's a trade you know if you want to go higher orbit which is you know sometimes our preference because um, you know you can get out of the thermal environment you can get out of the 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 Overall debris environment, um, but but you you take the hit on the radiation for so for for some of your system. But the benefit is that since we're designing to get a system to go to Mars, all of that system has to be radiation you know rated and and protected anyway. So it's not mm. a huge um, uh, issue, with the exception of, of of solar solar panels, which um, do degrade in radiation environment. Um, so you don't want that to, to sit in that radiation environment for too long or else it, uh, it degrades so that you can't generate enough power. So so where are some of those higher orbits that we're considering? Um, so, you know, what we've been, you know, talking a lot about uh, uh, orbits around the moon. Uh, yeah, orbits around the moon. Uh, hmm. The Arnos program is, you know, with the, with the gateway has, is out, out there uh, in, a, in a near rectilinear halo orbit uh, uh, around the moon. Uh, we have these uh, Lagrangian points that um, a lot of folks are very interested in, in understanding, and and what what those points really are is is if you think about from gravity, you know, pulling each other. Uh, the Earth and the Moon are in a gra- in a in a in a gravitational pull system. So the, gra- the Lagrangian points are just points in the Earth-Moon system that are that the gravity between the Earth and the Moon is relatively equal. Mm. So you're not really being pulled by the Earth. You're you're being pulled by Earth and the Moon roughly equally. And so those are those are points that are of interest because it's uh, you know once you get into those points um, you know it's easy to kind of get out of them and so it you know if you have a bunch of stuff stacked there it doesn't cost a lot of energy for it to go out, you know leave that orbit again to go somewhere else mm-hmm. and so it's great to for aggregating a lot of a lot of things and so uh, for you know what we've been looking at the last couple of years. Um, the assumption is always that we would launch our, all of our um, elements and, and components uh, into uh, that, you know, kind of like a, we call it, we just call it cis-lunar orbit, you know, a lunar orbit, yeah. uh, just to be generic because we haven't really picked a particular orbit uh, that we want to be in. Um, it could be the same one that the Gateway is at. Um, that way we can have some synergy with that program. Um, right. Uh, but we aggregate all that stuff there. But uh, but for Earth departure, you don't really want to depart from that uh, particular orbit because Near you do rectilinear want rectilinear yeah, orbit. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to. De- you could uh, depart from from those kept, you know those Lagrangian orbit, but uh, it, you have you get a much more benefit from the Earth gravity if you're leaving from a you know Earth orbiting gravity uh, or Earth orbiting orbit. Uh, so uh. basically, what you want to do is you want to come back and kind of swing by the earth on your way out, uh, that would be much more, uh, you know, efficient to, to be able to do that. So the assumption is always we come back to a high earth orbit or we call lunar distance high earth orbit. So huh. it's a big, big orbit that comes by the earth and it comes when it goes out. And so the orbits are always, always defined by apergee and apogee. Apergee is the, is the closest to the main body and apogee is the, uh, um, 
uh, distance to the you know furthest away. Uh, so your perigee is close to the Earth, but your apogee is actually at lunar distance. So um, a lot of our trajectory, we've, we've, we've actually been doing a lot of analysis and, and building a lot of these very intricate trajectory for, 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 for how we do Earth departure to try, try to minimize the energy we need. Hmm. Right? Typically, you know, when you do your what we call the trans-Mars injection burn, so burning for Mars, you come by Earth and you fire on your, your rocket engine and you burn really hard and you, you, you kick out there. Um, which is great and it's fast, uh, but it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of propellant. Um, hmm. So uh, we were, you know, we're, when, when designing our, our hybrid low and high thrust combination uh, type of propulsion system, we're trying to minimize how much of that chemical burn that we have to do. Um, so we, would, we designed up these uh, pretty intricate um, trajectories in which we come back into this high Earth orbit where the apogee is at lunar distance and we phase it so that you know, after the crew gets on the, on board the, the spacecraft, we target the moon. We do a lunar flyby, and and that kicks us out to heliocentric space. Oh, and, interesting. And then that gives us enough energy to come out. And that this only really works for the for the for the for the hybrid because technically, once you get flung out by the moon, you don't have enough energy to get to Mars yet. But with the low thrust, you can then use the time you have in space to thrust and to kind of keep pushing and pushing harder and harder and harder to get for you to catch up to Mars. Okay, so, so. this moon slingshot thing mm -hmm. works only if you have the 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 solar electric yeah, propulsion. Yeah, electric propulsion system. Give you the extra yeah. boost. So uh, and because yeah, um, or else you know you, you you know this orbit you know, if you, if you just slingshot around the moon, you don't have any more propulsion. You eventually fall back into Earth, and little uh -huh. late, like maybe like a year later, you catch back on Earth again. But so you you go on a little tour of the of the or Earth orbits area, but you don't yeah you don't you're not really going any anywhere particular in particular. So yeah, so so that it brings up a good point. Mm -hmm. So let's let's say for whatever reason mm -hmm. you do that Mars or that Moon slingshot, mm -hmm. but your solar electric propulsion doesn't kick in. Mm -hmm. Now you got to swing back. You're hanging out in space for a year. Yeah, yeah, that's always the challenge, right? right. People, uh, you know, this 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 quote unquote abort. I think people, uh, you know, like you know, not their not their fault. Like when when people say abort, you know, everybody have a good understanding of what that is, right? Because we have all these abort scenarios, like you know, oh, you're coming back home pretty quickly, uh, and things like that. But yeah, man, when you're in heliocentric space. Um, it's it's not that simple it's and it's mm. it's it takes a lot of energy to to to, to come to to quote unquote turn around and burn home um for your for your kind of like a low thrust if you just do a lunar gravity assist let's say you know in your scenario your, your electric propulsion system just craps out and doesn't do anything mm -hmm. um the benefit is that you still have your chemical propulsion system so you could theoretically and and you're not you're in terms of your orbital energy you're not that far from from earth so we haven't really done the analysis to to understand how quickly you can get back that's really really dependent on the orbit the particular date you're looking at and things like that hmm. but we do have some analysis done on the high thrust side of things you know after you do your big burn um you know can you you know i guess in those scenarios it's like oh if a crew has some issues they need to come home how what are the options right and and mm -hmm. honestly it's pretty limited even with like um you know th th this is one of the benefits of you know, people have touted for the uh, the nuclear uh, thermal propulsion system which has is it's kind of like um it's kind of like the chemical but instead of combustion in the uh using the propellant you're using a nuclear reactor to you know heat up the fuel and expend it out so it has a higher specific impulse but you have to carry a nuclear reactor around which you know 
has its own it has its own yeah challenges yeah uh, but they talk about these abort scenarios because it, because it has the the efficiency that you know um that the chemical system doesn't have but that's still you know once you kick out and especially those high thrust trajectory you're on much much higher energy so in order to, for you to turn around and, and and burn back this burn back towards earth it's not a straight shot you know it's not like you know me you know doing a u-turn and coming home <laughs> there's there's no uh, there's no uh u-turn really to be done you almost have to burn enough so that you fly by you do a really close swing by of, of the sun and come back and catch back up on earth uh, with earth again and that that could take you know a year or so or six months um you know depending on when that burn happens so um the the, the challenge we've ha- always had when when these type of questions come up is in what scenario does do you have a crew uh i guess crew health situation where you know the full you know Mars mission three years round trip is not acceptable, but a six month one year return is acceptable. Right? What 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 mm. scenario you're thinking about? Because, you know, I I actually I don't I don't know what the scenario is, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that that's that's the I think that you know, it's important to have that discussion uh, because we need to understand where these questions are coming from, and and the the people's concerns about 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 all this and understanding like the scenarios in which they want to protect for. And this is, again, back to the risk thing, right? If we want to protect for certain scenarios, we can run the analysis to show what it would cost, right? And then it's up to the decision-making to, under, to, 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 you know, weigh the cost-benefit analysis, say, do we want to protect for this or not? What are the probability of this actually happening? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, from a system analysis perspective, need to show you know, okay, if you want to protect for this risk, here are the implication and how that, you know, how that system change impacts the rest of the the, the other system that are, you know, related, right? Yeah. So. This goes back to what you're thinking about, which is this wide range of possibilities when yeah. you're thinking about propulsion technology, when you're thinking about possible trajectories or and the orbital mechanics of it all, mm-hmm. how, to, how to design a mission profile, however long it may be. That's, uh, you know, they're all worthy discussions to have, but I think we're, really what it comes down to is a, a mission to Mars is a risk, you know? Yeah, like you can't, absolutely. Like, you can't make it risk-free. Yeah, That's just absolutely. Not, that would be amazing, mm-hmm. but it's just not the way it is. Yeah, uh, it's like going skydiving, right? It's, yeah. There's some inherent risk in that, and there's nothing you can do to remove all the risk, right? And so yeah. uh, we can sit here and talk about, you know, and... and engineer and design system to be as risk uh free as possible but it will not be zero percent risk right i mean mm-hmm. inherently i mean just getting on the rocket and going into space is probably the riskiest part of you know could be one of the riskiest part of, of the whole endeavor right and mm-hmm. so um at some point we are we will we have to be willing to take risk right and i think one of the challenges we have as an agency uh especially when it comes to the mars program is that number one? It's 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 so challenging, right? We've kind of established how difficult it, it is. Um, so we need to have these hard discussion about risk and, and and cost and schedule and programmatics and things like that. But um, but it's it's also double challenging because it's so far away. Always it seems like yeah. right, and it, it it's hard to make decisions now, the hard decisions that you know 
might not have impact till for 10, 15 years down the road. Let's talk about the the moon to Mars, mm-hmm. what, what, we're, what we're striving for right now. Yep. You, you already mentioned a little bit about the Artemis program mm-hmm. and what we can learn about the near rectilinear halo orbit and some of the technologies needed for Gateway. Mm-hmm. What will that help inform when it comes to some of these propulsion technologies and, and some of the ways that we're thinking about how the moon can help us get to Mars? Yeah, from a propulsion perspective, I mean, uh, that's one of the benefit, right? We're, we're, you know, for, for the for the you know what we what we've been looking at the the subchem hybrid is that the electric propulsion thrusters that we are you know that we are planning on potentially using for for Mars transit is is being planned for the gateway as well, mm-hmm. right? And so there is some synergy there, and there's some you know obviously there's will be some challenges with the development cycle because the power level is totally different, right? Um, but uh, there's, you know, you can you kind of draw a little family tree back up to that that, that particular um, uh, design. Um, I think the big uh, thing for, for for the Artemis program is is kind of how the private par- uh, private public p- partnership is is, is kind of you know unfolding in front of our eyes. Hmm. I think getting kind of the framework for this for this private public partnership you know, as part of the Artemis program, understanding how we can leverage a lot of things that are happening in the in the in the in the, in the industry in the private sector can really inform and really drive how we think about designing the mission and think about how we um, either procure or, or, or um, um, uh, leverage all the things that are happening. And, and you know, obviously the private uh, industry have quite different objectives compared to what the government you know, and NASA wants to do. We want to explore, we want to, you know, uh, expand our knowledge and, 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 and really drive and push the techno- technological boundaries. Um, and so that part is, has to be the forefront of what we, what we try to plan for. And I think we are. Um, and, but I think the industry, in terms of their um, um, push for innovation in, in areas that the governments or might not be interested in, is also very beneficial because they are very interesting in, in streamlining the manufacturing process, uh, being more efficient with their design cycle and, and, and how robust their systems are and the way they do their testing. There's a lot we can learn from the commercial way of operating things yeah, by I, I, implementing a commercial partnership. Yeah, it did the, yeah just, just under, you know, having uh, synergy with a lot of things they're doing and leveraging some of the stuff they're, you know, and, and lever- having um, just, just dialogue and just understanding how they're doing their you know, business model, if you want to call it, um, and how we can learn from that, right? And, and change the way we were doing um, testing and doing uh, development and things like that. You know, in, in all industry and in, in, in tech in, in particular, you know, you need to have these kind of um, uh, breakthrough and these uh, um, uh, industry kind of like breaking, you know, moments, right? And, and to, to kind of drive us out of these kind of complacency that we're in. And, mm-hmm. and you know, at some point, we got to decide, yeah, we got We want to go to Mars, um, and we want to be able to do th- certain things, and we just have to, you know, push for it. Yeah. So it's that there is a balance, I feel, between innovation, you mm-hmm. know, trying new things and, and doing things a certain way, mm-hmm. and maybe the tradition does have a certain benefit of precedence yeah yeah uh, it informs what is possible because we've as done long stuff. as we learn from our history and mm. we you know we learn from the mistakes we've 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 made right you know struggle with that from every day you know to make sure that i think this way is it because 
I'm being informed by data and and I'm being informed by by good sound analysis or am I you know leaning this way because of my you know inherent bias or inherent perception of a preconceived notion of, of what the system is right and yeah so, um, and and that struggle is is you know is is, is real um, in at all levels and that's something that we have to be kind of very cognizant of yeah so when you're thinking about solving these problems with with team members mm-hmm. um, finding a way to think efficiently and making sure that you're considering all of these different things but not getting too bogged down yeah. by these decisions that that's a balance just in and of itself not Abs- just not just designing these trajectories and, yeah. these, and thinking about these systems but coming to a consensus on how to proceed yeah absolutely and and you know it's great that we you know our branch particularly have had you know uh, every you know year or so we get one or two in new hires and we have a bunch of interns that come in so it's always great when they come in with fresh perspective, they have not been in the mud, you know, making these, you know, trajectories or analysis and things like that. So they come in and say, wait, why did you do it that way? Mm-hmm. And we go, oh, yeah, why did we do it that way? <laughs> <laughs> and we need that, right? Because, you know, you know, you don't want to end up in a, such, in a, in a, in a um, kind of a environment in which new people coming in, you know, are conforming, you know, you, they're expected to conform to whatever standard you have. You want them to come in with a fresh mind, with critical uh, view and, and, and to, to provide us with um, a different perspective. And that's, I think, the most invaluable thing we have, especially here in NASA because of, you know, our, our notoriety and, and people want to come to work at NASA. And it's yeah. a great thing. And we need to keep hiring. We need to keep these f- people coming in and young minds and and, and really get them engaged, um, not just in school, but, you know, before. And so I think a lot of the public outreach things that we, we do is, is extremely important. I think NASA is still one of the most sought after thing. People say, oh, you work at NASA? That's amazing. <laughs> um, and, and it is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to go to work every day. Um, and, and we need that kind of enthusiasm, and, um, you know, to continue for, and, and, and the people coming in are, you know, they're brilliant. Um, and you, we need to be make sure that we are doing the right thing and doing doing things that you know um, to to make them feel like they're empowered to to um, change the status quo. Yeah. So. so thinking about what we've discussed today, thinking about the the difficulties of of uh, um, rendezvousing <laughs> with with Mars and with the different technologies that we're considering, reaching out to those people <laughs> who who want to come work at NASA and and fight to innovate mm-hmm. and fight to, to change the way that yep. things are doing. What are, what is a message that you want to send to them? It's, you know, it is a very exciting time, right? Cause, cause, uh, we have this whole moon to Mars enterprise. Now, mm-hmm. um, the Arnold's program is spinning up and we are going to, you know, go to the surface of the moon to, to do some very exciting science. Um, and with the goal, you know, on the horizon of always going to Mars. So these systems that we are developing um, and and partnering with you know industry uh, partners to to develop are going to set lay the foundation for what we do at Mars, right? And so um, it's very important for us to not only do the mission uh, to to the moon, but also be very very cognizant of that. These are laying the stepping stone, so we need to learn as much as we can mm-hmm. uh, as we do these things uh, to to inform a th- all the things that we're going to be planning on doing when we, you know, build.
build the spacecraft to go to Mars, right? And so uh, I think it's it's a very exciting time for, for NASA. Well, it's an exciting time, and, yeah. and, it's, and the, the future is is uh, exciting yeah. because I think every year is just going to be is another step closer. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's, like I said, you know, all, I think for, throughout this uh, podcast is, it's a challenging problem, and it is probably one of the one of humanity's greatest challenge. You know, and and I think if there's a will, we you know I, I don't doubt that we can achieve it, um, but it is a challenge, and and we have we have some of the brightest people on 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 the planet trying to solve it, um, and you know it's 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 a it's a great thing, and it's it's something that um, you know I think it's going to be so rewarding for for all of humanity you know it's one of those you know you think about people talk about you know well what does nasa do besides sending people to 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 space you know we do these innovations that we we have to develop so that we can send people to mars Mm -hmm. they will have long lasting effect on our society and and we might not know what that is till years later but it will and 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 that's kind of the challenge from from a you know quote unquote PR perspective, right? You know what you know costing X amount of dollars to send people to Mars. So what is that? You know we could have spent that money here on Earth, but it's like you don't know what you're gonna get out of it. But we know that it's gonna be impactful because we we have we have a track record of of all the great things that have spun off from NASA technologies that we've you know came out of the lunar program and the space station program, right? And the Mars you know uh, um, program will be an exponential in terms of how challenging it is, right? We're only two and a half miles off the coast of Spain right now. Yeah. We're going all the way to the uh, to, to, to America, right? And so there will, you know, whatever we come up with in terms of solution and technology advancement will be, uh, I think, societal changing. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad you're on the team thinking about this <laughs> and uh, looking forward to bringing on others to, yeah. to continue it. It's, so. gonna, it's been great work. And this has been a fascinating conversation, Patrick. Thanks, well, thanks. so much for coming yeah. on. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. yeah it's been great. Awesome. So. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really fascinating conversation we had with rocket scientist extraordinaire Patrick Chai. I hope you've been enjoying some of these Mars monthly episodes. We started with Michelle Rucker on just the general concept and really the outline of a mission to Mars. Then we explored some concepts near science fiction with Jason Derleth. Uh, Patrick Chai takes us into the third month. I hope you're sticking around. We got a lot more episodes coming your way. Again, we're going to do it on the first Fridays of every month. So stay tuned for some of the upcoming episodes. If you liked this episode... uh, or many of the other Mars monthly episodes of Houston. We have a podcast. You can find them all at nasa.gov slash podcast. You can also check out some of our other episodes. You really don't have to listen to them in any particular order. Um, that's all at nasa.gov slash podcasts, as, mu- as well as the many other podcasts that we have across the whole agency. If you want to talk to us at Houston, we have a podcast. Uh, you can find us at the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit your idea for the show. And make sure to mention us at Houston, we have a podcast. This episode was recorded on February 4th, 2020.
Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, and Michelle Rucker. Thanks again to Patrick Chai for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and some feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us how we did. We'll be back next week.